Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday night. Let me see if I can do make a clean sweep and do the Haftarah now, which is being sponsored by the Shuchmans, Eitan Ariella, in honor of a certain couple's uh, special anniversary, and uh, not there, someone else. And uh, thank you very much. Let's take a look at the Haftarah today, um, which deals <coughs> with many things. Uh, you know, the Shiv and the obviously, but it all depends how you spin and how you play it. And we're in order to understand it, I would say... You have to have a good uh, bikiyas with Yeshayahu and Yirmiyahu. Remember now, Yeshayahu is, um, the prophet Isaiah is earlier in history. <coughs> the prophet Yeshayahu was in a <coughs> time of Ashur, in a time of, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Kiskia, and Sancher, the invasion of Israel by the Assyrian army and all that, the invasion of Judah, I might say. Whereas Yirmiyahu, of course, uh, was at the, um, as later, in the time of the Babylonian, the Tishabah, as it were. But the Haftorahs are chosen uh, from most of me, Shayol, because he's, you know, very, well, whatever, there's a lot of Nechum in there. It's that kind of a, a book. But, you know, it is and it isn't. It looks, the question is how closely do you read it? So I'll tell you where I'm going with this. We have chapter 4950 <coughs> and into 51. That's what the Haftorah of this week is. 4950 and 50 into 51. And uh, I didn't I didn't you know, actually give it to a podcast last week. Yeshua breaks in like two halves. The first half is uh, mostly negative. The second half is very positive. That at least, you know, the Bible critics. Not only that, I mean, Ibn Ezra also to say they're, they're really the two different people. Yeshua, the first one, is not identical with Yeshua, the second one. That was a big fight. In the Middle Ages and in the nineteenth century, you know, you're not from if you say this and that. Um, but the uh but the what do you call it? The the prophecies have a different tone, no question about it. Now, when we deal with today's Haftorah, uh, first of all you have the stuff about, you know, don't worry your shalim will one day be great and fantastic, and in true Middle Eastern style, your enemies will eat their own flesh. They'll eat their own flesh and they'll and they'll drink and they'll drink uh, their own blood, you know, like like wine. So it ain't good enough until the bad guys suffer. You know, it's not it's not good enough. Uh, for, it's not good enough for you know people to to uh, <laughs> to for the good guys to prosper. The bad people also have to suffer. However, then comes chapter fifty, which is very famous, in which Komar Hashem in Pasigal, uh Come, uh, Hashem. This is this is the prophet Ishaya talking. Where's the get? Okay. Notice when do when God says to the Jewish people, when did you and I get divorced? Or when did I sell you off? Um. So this is very interesting because here you see something has many meanings, but to make it at the simplest, uh, we find that the Jews were constantly doing idolatry in first temple period. And when they suffered uh, from enemy invasions, 
instead of saying we're wrong and, and let's repent and fix this situation through repentance, they simply said God has thrown us out, right? As he's saying nowadays, he threw us under the bus, right? He's sick and tired of us, and therefore he wrote us a get. You understand? Or he sold us off to slavery. Uh, these ideas are, I guess you would say today, primitive theological notions, perhaps. But they made a lot of sense. And, uh, and it was a real problem because if a person feels this way, then they don't understand how God really operates. And more importantly, it kind of excuses you from having to keep the mitzvahs. If I'm being unclear, let me try to put it in simple terms that anybody can understand. Suppose a person today, or ever, converts to another religion. Most likely, that person says like this, either the Jewish God is all wrong, doesn't exist, and I got that wrong, instead I'm going for another religion, or, or, um, and that has happened, obviously, or if people convert like happened in Spain under all that pressure, they simply say, like this, I'm switching teams, and their bonus shalom is finished with me, now I'm, I'm a Catholic now, or whatever, or whatever the religion is. You understand? Know Notice I'm, I'm, I'm changing teams. I started as an Oriole, but I, I'm switching teams. Now I'm a Yankee. You know, now I'm a Red Sox. Um, I can do it. And because of that, I don't have to keep the mitzvahs anymore because they're not Jewish anymore. I guarantee you, if you have in America people who do that today, if you ask them, you know, person wasn't from the begin with, they'll say, you know, I don't have to keep that stuff anymore because I started, I joined another religion. Now, in Judaism, of course, we believe you can't get off the team. You can't jump off the boat. In any situation, wherever you find yourself, you're still mechaven tired mitzvahs, and including the belief in, in one God. And if you don't, you're just sinning. And so you're just racking up bad points. You're going to burn in hell extra for it. I've quoted many times the famous story of Vilna Gone, who at one point in his career was ended up in jail. And the story goes, I mean, I wasn't there. The story goes that the person who was the jailer uh, was a Mashumid. And the villain going had some kind of conversation with him a lot, to, the fo- to the following extent. Don't think you're going to burn, he told this guy who was a Mashumid. Don't think you're going to burn in hell because, you know, uh, now you completely change religions. Gila You know, keep Shabbos, eat Trafe and all the rest of it. That's true. But in addition to that, you're also going to burn hell because you didn't do Negelvasi this morning. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? You know, you didn't, you didn't say Shemun uh, three times a day. You can't get out of the religion and the obligations by just switching. Okay, that's what we say today, but that's not what people said in the time of the prophet Isaiah, which is why he has to address this issue. And uh, the way they, they addressed the issue at that time very interestingly, it was in terms of a get. Meaning, in the biblical, the very strong biblical theme that the Jewish people and God were married. Talk about this in terms of Har Sinai, Yaakov. It's understood to be a marriage relationship. And it's expressed that way many times. That's the from interpretation of Shir Shem, after all. But there are many other places like that, right? And, Moros HaKilos Yaakov Meuros saw Kilos Yaakovs and Arison, you know, many, many uh, themes like that. And 
That means if they're married, so then the way you end the marriage is through a divorce, through a get. And in the Torah, of course, only he can give the get. So in this metaphor, if the Jewish people are married to God, which they take as a fact, not in the literal sense of a human being, but nevertheless, it's not a fantasy. So we're the woman and God's the man. That's the idea behind it, right? We're the, we're the she and God's the he. So only he can give the get. So what if a woman wants out in Jewish law, in classic Jewish law? If a woman wants out and the guy doesn't want out, she's not out. The, you know, uh, um, feminists and things are complaining about that today. I mean, I get that. I understand that. But nevertheless, bottom line is, I'll be din, if she wants out and he doesn't want out, she's not out. It's got to be that he writes to get. She can't write to get. So that's the model of thinking that you find in the Haftorahs, in, in the in the Nevi'im, in the Yeshaya Yermi, and some other places. And um, when any part of the Jewish people was destroyed, so it is discussed in terms of a get. I'll tell you something you probably don't know. I think many, many people will remember the Pusik in this week's Haftorah, where Yeshayo, I repeat, Yeshayo, says, the beginning of chapter 50, Where's the get that I gave your mother and got rid of her? There is none. This is a rhetorical question. So therefore, you're still stuck with me. And you can't go off the derech. You can't uh, become an idol worshiper and just join the Goyim and blend in. You can't do it. I will hold you to account. I won't permit it. Uh, now, by the way, that's at a mass level. At an individual level, God does permit it. We do have cases throughout Jewish history, sadly, where some will join another religion and disappear into that religion. Again, Spain comes to mind, but that's not the only country. Right? I read the other day, it's a ton of uh, people in Poland that on the deathbed, the mother or grandmother says, I'm Jewish, or whatever. You know, and a lot, of, and even more don't. And so these people just blend into the Goyim. And they get away with it. When I say get away with it, I mean in the in the Olam Haza sense. But as a nation, this is what he's speaking about. As a claw, doesn't work, as you'll see in a second. So it's a very famous statement that Hashem says, Where's your mother's uh, uh, get that I sent? Meaning, when did I, God, give you permission to go off and join others? Because when you write a get, you say, so here, you know, it would, so to speak, be as if God said, Hareatem mutarim le'elilim, you know, something to that effect. And the answer is, it's rhetorical, it doesn't exist. The answer is not there. So you're stuck, you can't go away. This is Yeshayo talking in the Haftorah, right? And therefore, once you know that, um, then that, that gives you a tool of analysis for the misfortunes that the Jewish people are suffering. If the Jewish people are suffering, for example, under Hitler, it doesn't mean God has dumped them, but rather, that your mother was sent away, not divorced, but your mother was sent away uh, because of your sins. In other words, if you're suffering from a Hitler, it's because of your sins. I mean, I don't know 100% how that works, but nevertheless, that's the general idea. Okay? Now, uh, that's a very interesting passage. And we know, later on in Jewish history, uh, as we'll see in a second, 
that the Prophet Yecheskel says that uh, um, that the Jewish people after the uh, um, exile to Babylonia, after Tishabab, felt that they were no longer subject to God. And thus he sold us to Nebuchadnezzar. And in a famous prophecy, Yecheskel says, no, it doesn't work that way. And if you try to implement it, I will introduce a different type of anti-Semitism will drop you back into my arms. And you and I have lived to see in our previous generation, you know, the Hitler time, that you have an anti-Semitism of race. It has nothing to do with religion, per se. You could be completely not religious. In fact, you could convert. And Hitler is going to go after you because of racial tendencies. And the science is getting more refined for Hitler because the genetics is now crazy. And, you know, what they can come up with in terms of the DNA and the other stuff, I don't know, but you know, I know people know it. And, you know, can they can determine if people have Jewish DNA, Jewish roots, Jewish blood, whatever you want to call it. And uh, if the bad guys ever come to power, God forbid, they can go after you, even though you don't even know you're Jewish yourself. The funny thing is that we do have a discussion in Yermiel, in the third chapter, in which the prophet Jeremiah... Um, very interestingly to me, is relating a conversation that God had with him um, in the time of Yoshio HaMelch. Remember, we just had the Kinos. Uh, by the way, the Kinos that did are up online on the YouTube. He says, the um, in the time of Yoshio, who was a good king. And this is chapter 3, 6. That Hashem said to me, the prophet Yermio, when Yoshio, the from guy, was on the throne. Have you seen what happened to that uh, slutty Israel? That's what Meshub really means. Acting as a slut. Now, Hochach, uh, Kol Nisham. You know, that Yisrael went under every uh, high uh, hill and under every tree. Was Mazana there? So it's a slot. Now, what that means, first of all, it's not far from what literally happened, I'm sorry to say. But really, you know, it seems to be about a Vodazar, that they did have Vodazar everywhere. And in the prophets, especially Yermio and Yeshayo, um, the Jewish people worshiping idols is, is often referred to as Znus, because after all, if you're married to Hashem and you carry on with other idols, it's like committing adultery in a certain sense, right? That metaphor you find a lot. Right, because it's a matter of infidelity, unfaithfulness, so, which is a sin by itself. Correct. Aside from the actual act, the very lack of fidelity is morally wrong. It's interesting to me. I teach in college. You don't need me to tell you. In college today, they don't exactly have the same morality as uh, you know, Mayor uh, <laughs> Sharm, but um, but uh, you know, in the modern secular world. But they, in the modern, I see the students in the secular world, they do have strong feelings about fidelity and infidelity. You understand? Now, those two people might be in some kind of relationship, even though they're not married and so on and so forth. But if one is cheating on the other, they would consider that to be a bad thing. Even though you might say like this, if you don't believe in this, you don't believe in that, what do you care? The notion of being loyal and being disloyal is a, you know, kind of a Greek kind of notion. And that, that people do feel. Uh, it's always interesting when I when I have discussions about that with the students. Anyway, so um, Hashem is saying to Prophet Yirmiyot, do you see how Yisrael was such uh, unfaithful and slutty and so forth? And and not only that, 
And Hashem says, and I, I even gave them a second and third chance. And I said, even after you've acted in this wanton way, return to me, Velo But they wouldn't. Now, here's the thing. Um, you know, this is talking about the kingdom of the north. Uh, there were two kingdoms, uh, the Yisrael in the north and Yehud in the south. Yermiel is already later on after uh, in, in the kingdom of the of the south. By his time, the kingdom of the north no longer existed. It had been wiped out and carried off to who knows where, the ten lost tribes, as we call them, Aseret uh, long before that in the time of Cheskiahob. Uh, so Hashem is saying, O kingdom of Judah, don't repeat the mistake of your sister, the kingdom of Israel. And this idea of the two kingdoms being related, we just did in the um, kinos of um, the night of Tishabov, right after the Echad, you know, Oliva, Olivama, and so forth. They're all comparing their catastrophes. If perhaps you remember that, if you had an English uh, kinos. And what it says is that uh, I warned her and she didn't listen. And her Bagoda Chosa Yehuda Terev, and her. Um, how should I put it over here? Her potentially slutty sister, her 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 her, her uh, bad sister, Yehuda, just watched. And God says, because the king of the north was so meshuba, so immoral, I gave her a get. That's interesting. So you see, according to this prophecy, this would confirm the opinion that the ten tribes are not coming back. That's a machlok uh, in the Tanaim. It's a Mishnah in uh, Sanhedrin, perhaps you will recall, Perichelik. And one opinion is, get over it, the ten tribes are not coming back. The other opinion is they are. And all the mices and the stories that you have I ever heard about Aser Sashvatim and the other stuff, right, most of which are not true, uh, but there have been people looking for them, I mean, they're based, obviously, on the idea that God did not write them a get creases, you know. But uh, they are coming back. But those who say they're not coming back, they say, well, here you have a puzzle. It tells you. Okay? Uh, I gave a safer creases. Now, that should have, Yermiel goes on, that should have shocked the kingdom of Judah into going back on the derech. But the wayward sister, Yehuda, didn't learn Musa from that, and didn't get scared by Tehuatizen Gamhi, and she also ran off and started committing Znus, and things like that. So, uh, you know, wh- where's it going to lead? You understand? Where's it going to lead? Bahayim, it calls Znus of Ateknabahars, Batinabaseraven, and he uses all this language of being, as they say, slutty, and all the the uh, the metaphors that go along with that, and being the Tommy of the land, and so on and so forth. So things are pretty bad religiously in the time of Yermiyahu. The point is that the use of Sefer Kresis is known in the Tanakh. And in, in that light, when we read in our Haftar today, even though it was said earlier in the time of Yeshayahu, uh, but it's the same kind of idea, which is, hey, you are the king of Yehuda. I never sent a get. I did to the other one, but I never sent to you. Because otherwise, you and I would not be here today. We would not be listening to these words. Uh, instead, Hashem is saying that uh, 
what I'm going to do to you is not divorce you, but I'm going to cut you off without being divorced. So it's a very interesting kind of metaphor if you think about it, because uh, imagine, um, I'll try to put this in a way that makes sense best as I can. Uh, uh, imagine, especially in the old days, thousands of years ago, when you had polygamy. So let's take for argument's sake, a guy's got a dozen wives, like one of these kings or whatever. And one of these wives starts acting, misbehaving, or getting the husband ticked off, or something like that. What does he do? You know, and she starts acting like a floozy or whatever. He's like this, I'm not divorcing you. I just cut you out. Cut you off. Get out of the house. Get out of the palace. You're on your own, baby. Don't come to me for a check. I'm not paying any of your bills. Try life out there without any money and see how you like it. You know what I'm saying? He didn't divorce her. He's punished her precisely by not being divorced so she can't go marry someone else. And, you know, not not legally. Um, and so all she can do is, you know, carry on with boyfriends. But, you know, she lives the life of, a, so to speak, a ruined woman with no income. Her life pretty bad. And she goes from misfortune to misfortune realizing in the case I'm talking about that, you know, if she wants to come back and act different, she could. So the husband basically is saying like this, I don't need you. I got 10 wives. I got 20 wives. You know, I don't need you. Um, on the other hand, I'm not cutting you off uh, because I prefer that you should change and come back. So here you have the model even though I just gave an example of a polygamous situation of the old-fashioned school of thought, which says that a bad marriage is better than a divorce. Now, it's not necessarily how people feel today, and that's a very complicated subject, and there sure as heck are cases where divorce is necessary. There's no question about that. I know that from my business here, you know, my business, true. But on the other hand, it's not a first, to use modern terminology, it's not a first resort, it's a last resort, you see? And, um... You know, what is what is better if, if a marriage can be patched up? Now, it would be better if there was no problem in the first place, obviously. But if there is a problem and such things happen, is it better for the husband and the wife to say, oh, let's just end this and move on, and I'll start again, and you'll start again and see what happens and so forth? Or is it better to say, you know, let's, let's try to work this out as best we can and patch things up as best we can? And you want to know something? Maybe we can turn this into a bump on the road. You know, we can have another 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years together. And, you know, we had a bump on the road or two bumps. Big deal, you know. Uh, we can we can fill the remaining time, you know, with, with positive experiences. You know, something along those lines. Uh, that's the meaning of the Haftorah today, where Yishayo is saying, you know, look, we have a bad relationship. We have a bad marriage going on over here. But Asa saved for Chris, I should But I never divorced the mother. I never sent a get. Uh, if if the mother knows if Claudius was in bad, bad shape, it's your own fault. I don't need you, right? But but I want the marriage to work anyway, God says. It's because of the sins that the mother was thrown out of the house. Thrown out of the house is not the same thing as a safer crisis, as a divorce. Thrown out of the house is what we call today a marriage in crisis, right? But a marriage in crisis is not the same thing 
as the marriage severed, okay? The marriage severed. And um, I see that they have here at the bottom in the in the uh, Mikras Gadoas a, um, what do you call it? A Medrash uh, Tanoim, which is a little bit um, inaccurate. Not exactly, but uh, you'll see why in a second. Medrash Tanoim was uh, one of these uh, unusual Medrashes that was found by W.T. Hoffman. And it goes like this. It compares and contrasts the two psukim that I threw at you today, one from Yeshaya and one from Yermio. One where in Yeshaya in the Haftorah this week, it says, where's the Sefer Cruz I ever sent you? I never sent you any uh, divorce. And in the Yermio, he says, I did. But if you look in Yermio, as I told you and read to you, Yermio is not talking to the kingdom of the south, talking to the kingdom of the north. Meaning he was referring to the divorce of the kingdom of the north, the ten lost tribes. He's not referring to you and I from the south. But here's how it goes. On one hand, it says, where, in this week's parsha, where is the safer crease? Where is the get that I send? Meaning there isn't any. On the other hand, it says it is. In Yermio, I send a safer creases. How do you reconcile these two psukim? Now, it's not correct what he's saying. Because, in Pashib Shot sense, because one's talking about Yisrael, well, it's not be Yehud if you look it up. But for Midrashic purposes, they're assuming here that they're talking about the same thing so they can offer a, a dialectic reconciliation to bring out a Musar point. And Ketzi Yiskam Shnei Moshe that one of the Tanoim gave the following Moshel. Lamad Dabadumer, Lamel Shekos Ha'ishto Bekosov Geb It's like a king who got angry at his wife and threw her get and, and wrote a get and threw it at her. But, you know, and this is a movie. You know, he's real angry. He went through the trouble. He wrote a whole get. And then um, he went and tossed it at her. But before she could pick it up, he picked it up and tore it up. So I'm sure today, you know, Rottenberg needs better health, unfortunately. But if you ask Sonny Masada Gittins, they've seen everything, you know. They've seen everything. And um, (laughs) I'm sure... It's happened that, you know, there's a couple that's at war with each other, and finally they talk the guy into giving a get, and they're both there, and they're both there, and um, then they tell the guy, okay, now here's the get, hand it to your wife, and he probably stands in front of her and tears it to bits. Heck with you, you know? Uh, <laughs> I was at once house of a certain Masada get, I won't say who, and he asked his little kid, he said, you know, Describe what happened. We have a get, and he says, "Tati gave the get to get to the man and said, you know, tell him a chavis and so forth." And he said, "The little kid said, and he said to the wife, open this, open your big fat mouth. I'm gonna shove this <laughs> down your throat.' Wasn't really exactly what you call an amicable situation, you know. So we have something like that. He says there was a king got angry at the wife. He wrote a baget, but then he tore it in her face. When she asked for money for support, because he threw out of the house, he would say, I don't have I, I, I divorced you. Then she'd say, oh, if you divorce me, then I'm going to get remarried. You can't get remarried. Where's the get? You understand? It's torn. 
So notice he was trying to have it both ways against her. So Kach Bishashi Yisrael Osim Ritzon Shel Mokom, when Klaiser is acting right, he says Eitzes Eber Kriyas Nimchem. He says I didn't divorce you. Bishashin Yisrael Osim Ritzon Shel Mokom. When Jews are acting bad, Shachti Eitzes Kriyas Elehov. I did divorce you. So it's more an anger of the husband being you know angry at the wife than than being consistent. Now it's a, it's a vart. You know this is a vart, and it's not in the you know Mechulta or anything like that. It's a menish tanoim. Uh, and the reason I say it's a vart is because what's what's talking about the other case was the ten tribes which were divorced. I mean, he says that. Uh, when they disappear off the face of the earth, as they have, that's a sign of saying Hashem is divorced from them. It boggles the mind that, you know, you had Reuben and Shimon and, you know, Yisachar, Zvon, Don, Naftali, Gadash, all the rest of it, all the shift they caught and we have so many divartories about them, and so on and so forth. I mean, I get that, I understand. But nevertheless, uh, it happens. Notice we haven't heard from them. They're gone. You never know what can happen again. You know, they might come back. I mean, I understand. But if they ever come back, it'll be in the most remarkable way. It would probably be, this is just a, a, a stupid guess on my part, it would probably be because of the genetics. You know, they find the DNA, who the 10 tribes are. Because they ain't on the face of the earth. They used to say, they're in Africa, they're in America, they're in Asia, you know, but they went everywhere and they're not there, you know. So, uh, basically, the way to describe it is they got divorced. But the rest of us, who are not from the Ten Tribes, we who are left from Yehuda, Minyamin, Kohanim, Levim, uh, we're still here. If we're still here identifiable as Jews, then we're still married, so to speak. There's no get. That's the point of Yeshayo. There's no get. I, things are far from perfect. We're still in Gullis. The situation in Kalisrael leaves much room for improvement. Rove, the Jewish people today aren't interested in keeping, you know, the mitzvahs, all the rest of it. Okay, so you have a, a, a problematic marriage. As we would say today, you go to a marriage counselor. You understand? A problematic marriage. Few marriages are perfect, perfect. A problematic marriage is a known thing. But the whole point of a problematic marriage is it can be fixed. You understand? That's how we're supposed to look at the situation. So we are married because we're here and identifiable as the Jewish people. So we're not divorced from God. And to be perfectly honest, the continued survival of Kali Yisrael in this crazy world, especially in the Middle East and all the rest of it, and all the anti-Semitism shows you, you, you still are married. The problematic side, the bad situation of Klaistro in general, that means the marriage has issues. This is the language that the Chazal use, and I think that's the most important part, practically, to take from the Haftorah this week. Not the fluffy stuff, although that's important, you know, I'm not, I'm not blowing it away, but if you want to get real down to earth, in my opinion, you know, you ask yourself, as part of Kali Yisrael, not you, your personal life. That's a different schmooze. I'm not talking about that. That is a very interesting separate schmooze. You know, is your personal marriage to God in crisis or not? But the Jewish people in general, you think that way. That's how the Nevi'im were thinking. And, um, you know, and how can that marriage place be improved or things of that nature? Or who's the counselor you take it to? Uh, you know, then it becomes a very interesting and I think a very fruitful metaphor.
That's what I wanted to share. Again, thanks very much to Eitan Ariella and the family for sponsoring, and uh, wish everybody a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.